I want you to turn your Bibles at this time to Second Peter. You probably knew you were going to be there. Second Peter. And for this morning's message, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 10 and 11 of Second Peter 1. And these two verses, as you would know, are built on verses 5 through 9 that Hans covered for us last Sunday. In order to tie it all together, though, I'm going to have you follow along as I read verses 1 through 11. So uh, I'll be reading, and probably the scripture will be behind the, me on the wall there, but you have your own Bible. It's great if you open that up and you follow in your Bible. Okay, or your cell phone. Okay. Let me read verses 1 through 11. Just let God, the Holy Spirit, speak to your heart, even from the reading of his precious love letter, this gift to you and me. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Interesting about that last verse, a lot of the songs that we sang this morning spoke about that, didn't they? We're blessed by that. Well, last Sunday, Hans shared with us verses 5 through 9, and he spoke on the subject, due diligence, qualities for spiritual maturity. And he explained that the basics for diligent godliness is rooted in this so great a salvation that God has lavished upon us through his grace And then the appropriate response to that, this greatest of all gifts from you and me, is diligence. That's what he shared last Sunday morning if you were here. And then Peter exhorts us to apply all diligence at supplying to our faith seven Christ-like qualities. You know, it takes a while just to process them in your mind and say, where am I in this? But he says, give diligence, for example, to moral excellence or virtue. In other words, give all diligence to developing moral excellence, and that, as Hans says, is the best of the good. And he shared with us Paul's words out of the Philippians 4.8, and that's really a tremendous uh, impact in your and my life there, where he says, whatever is true, whatever is lovely or honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any 
excellence. There it is. If anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And then to that you were to add knowledge. And Hans mentioned about it. It's, it's an understanding. It's godly wisdom. It's discernment from God. He said, love your Bible and get into the Word. Now, good. A lot of people come to church, but do you love your Bible and do you get into the Word? And then add to that self-control. Now you've got to put it to work, don't you? Add to that self-control, holding yourself in. And he said, beware of being intoxicated with the truth, but still lacking self-control. What did he mean? He means you can go to a good Bible teaching, preaching church and still not be under self-control. Still be walking and living in sin. And then you have to add the next one to that, perseverance. Because if you don't endure, then what's happening? You're not practicing the self-control. So add to that perseverance. That's that patient endurance. And there's always a forward look in biblical perseverance. That's good. And the perseverance, godliness. You know what that is? It's being being aware of God in every aspect of your life. Just you and God walking out the door together. You come to go to work together, go to school, you come back home, and you and God walking through the whole journey together. Always, well, if God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you, you need to be aware of that. That makes a difference. And then from that, brotherly kindness, and he mentioned rightly, it's love. It means we are born of the same womb, therefore love and prefer one another regarding one another is more important than yourself. Do you ever have an opportunity to do that? Not at all, I'm sure. Yeah. Regarding others as more important than yourself. And then the capstone, the crown of it, the Christian virtues is love. That's the glue that holds the other six together. And then we went into verses 8 and 9, and Han shared with us there the benefits of diligent godliness. And we started with the negative. Let's start with the negative. You will not be useful or fruitful. That's pretty powerful. And the morning, this morning I have to share with you the positive benefits. I always give him the hard stuff. I get the good stuff. But I'll be sharing with you the positive benefits of diligent godliness. But one more thought as we review what Hans shared with us last week, and that's in verse 9. He shared with us the blindness of diligent godlessness. The blindness of that. What is it? In this blindness you find yourself not having God's thoughts. You might not be an unbeliever, but when you forget your purification from your former sins, you end up living just like an unbeliever. A lot of that going on today, and that is a big concern. That's why Peter writes, and why this is such a valuable letter to you and me. And with that review, we now come to verses 10 and 11. I want to share with you this morning. Let me read them again. Verses 10 and 11, power-packed here. Therefore, build on all that Sean shared and Peter shared. Brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Well, we look at that there. And that is, I begin with the question in your outline, if you'll notice it there. Outline is a little bit different, but there's a question we start with. What is the one word that is so foreign? That's right. So foreign and quite often missing in most Christians' life. And this seems to be very true in America. What is the one word that is so foreign and so often missing in so many, many Christian lives? Diligence. Diligence. As you might have noticed if you've read 2 Peter through, 
these three chapters, Peter specifically chose to use this word a number of times. When God does that in Scripture, he's saying, Late, wait, wake up, pay attention. I want your attention here. And Peter does that. God did that through him. In verse 5, as we saw last week, Now for this very reason also, apply all diligence. Some of you are going to go home this afternoon, and you're not only going to have your lunch, you're going to watch the Seahawks. I guarantee you that uh, the uh, coach will not have people out there playing that won't be playing with diligence. They'll all have diligence or they'll be off of there. At least I hope. Look at verse 10. One we're looking at this morning. Therefore, brethren, be all the more what? What to say? Eager. All right, eager work. Diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing. Look down at verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. Peter knew we had a tendency to forget. So I'm going to give all the diligence I got in these last years that God's given me to make sure you will remember these things. Turn in your Bible over to chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, are you looking for them? I sure hope you are. Looking for these things that God talked about that's coming about, His coming and so forth. Be diligent to be found by Him in peace and spotless and blameless and so forth. Amazing. Diligence. The one word that's often missing in the average Christian's life. And now in verse 10, we're looking at this morning, Peter urges the word, or uses that word diligent for the second time after exhorting us, as you saw in verse 5, to apply all diligence in your faith, supply those seven Christ-like qualities. By the way, how do you do that? Well, you do it with all diligence, is what he said. Do it with all diligence. And now look at verse 10 with me. And here, for the second time, Peter strongly exhorts us to put to work that one word, diligence, in living out our Christian lives. It says put it to work. Don't just know about it. Here's the danger for me, for you as well. Hear a sermon, hopefully it'll be a good sermon, and walk out here, out here and say, oh, we really enjoyed that. Well, that was great. You know, that really spoke to me. And then do nothing about it. That's exactly what Peter doesn't want to happen. And so he's going to drive this home, and I hope the Lord will use me to use his words to do that as well. So in your outline, when you do, you will make certain about his calling and choosing you. Verse 10. When you do, apply all diligence to these seven Christ-like characters in your life, applying that to your faith, because it says you belong to the Lord, then you will make certain about his calling and choosing. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Well, first of all, look at this from God's side. you got to start there. Look at this from God's side, okay? Peter makes it clear that the calling and the choosing, it's the word electing there, uh, are on God's side and are God's action. In fact, look at verse 1. starts out that way. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received, who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, and how by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. We did not create this or generate or even obtain somehow in our own efforts this like precious faith. No, we received it as a gift from God. And as Paul writes, and you know it so well, for by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Okay? And as we saw when we examined verses 1 through 4, we receive by God's grace a divine call, a divine nature, and divine power, and they are all 
three gifts from God. We saw that. I like how Michael Green puts it. He says, Making or make your calling and election sure is an appeal that goes to the heart of the paradox of election and free will. The New Testament characteristically makes room for both without attempting to resolve the apparent antinomy. So here, this is what he writes, so here the election comes from God alone. But, get this, but man's behavior is the proof or the disproof of it. That's powerful. The calling and choosing election, that comes from God alone. But your and my behavior is the proof or the disproof of it. Now let's look at this from your side, though. Look at it from your side. Your assurance of salvation, first of all, is rooted in God's Word. I like it. God said it. I believe it. And that settled it. First of all, it's rooted in God's Word. That's looking at your calling and election or choosing from God's side. And what does God's written Word declare? The Apostle John writes in 1 John 5.13, and you probably know these verses well, These things I have written to you, that's the written Scriptures, the Word of God, that who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. See, it's rooted in God's Word first. When the Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas, Men, what must I be to do to be saved? He said what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You go over, for example, to uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, again, written word of God, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, then, he confesses, resulting in salvation. A lot there. So it's rooted in God's Word. But your assurance of salvation is confirmed. Write it in your outline there. Your assurance of salvation is confirmed by your godly living. That's what Peter's talking about. It's confirmed by your godly living. As Kenneth S. Weiss, the Greek scholar, says, there's no idea here of making sure that we retain our salvation, but that we possess salvation. So it's not about here about retaining it. It's showing that we possess it. And Peter drives this whole point home when he writes, be all the more diligent. He's already told us that a genuine Christian possesses a faith of the same kind as the apostles possess. He further declared we are partakers of the divine nature and therefore have escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. And listen, if God is your heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ dwells in you who came to deliver you from sin and who has broken its hold on you, how then could you go on deliberately choosing to live a life of sin? That's the issue. Since you possess saving faith... You must apply all diligence in moment-by-moment living the Christ-like life of moral excellence, of growing in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, having your life under self-control, and faithfully persevering. Now, I know it's a process. It's, it's, It's a growing here, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You live a godly life focused on pleasing God, as well as well as being filled with brotherly love and sacrificial love for those around you. That's these seven Christ-like characteristics. So your assurance of salvation is confirmed by your godly living. Question, question. What happens when a Christian fails to give diligence to these seven Christ-like characters, characteristics? What happens when you choose to, or you fail to give diligence to these seven Christ-like qualities? Verse 9 tells you, 
Verse 9 tells you. Look at verse 9. Hans, Hans talked about last week. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. What burdens our hearts is so many people are doing exactly that. Think about the people who grew up in the church, grew up in Sunday school, had daily vacation Bible school, were under good Bible teaching and so forth, and now are no longer in church. Ask yourself, what happened? How in the world could that have possibly happened? He just told you how. Powerful. You become blind or short-sighted. In other words, you live your life for the now and present, having lost sight of the goal. That's why verse 11 talks about the You lost sight of the goal for which God saved you. You begin to drift in your Christian life further and further and further away from your fellowship with the Lord, and you end up deeper and deeper in sin, don't you? You end up snared by the devil who has lost you for eternity, but not necessarily for time. As I was going over my notes this morning, I was thinking about that because I'm seeing it more and more. It said in the last day you'd see love of many would grow cold and, and uh, they would fall away from the faith. I wrote some things down. What happens? You stop coming to church. Isn't that interesting? Been here 25 years. I've seen it. You stop coming to church. You no longer pick up your Bible. Read it. The devil begins to creep into your mind and thoughts and cause you to doubt God. I mean, how could he do this to me? How could he allow this in my life and so forth? And then you stop living by faith and you have to walk out. You walk out of follow, you're, and you're walking out of fellowship. You make more and more wrong choices. Your whole countenance changes and you lose your joy. And when it comes to your Christian life, You're no different than the unbeliever who is imprisoned by Satan and useless to God. I've seen it. I pray for my children and grandchildren who have to raise their, my grandkids, in this culture. And I hope that Mary and I can be the godly influence I want because I've seen this. I've seen this over and over again. That's what he's talking about, people. So it isn't just a message here, is it? It's something we really have to think about and take heed to and pray much over. But there's a second thing that happens when you don't give any diligence to working out your salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul said in Philippians 2. You not only can't see forward to the goal, but Peter says you also can't see backward either. Can't see backward either. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. What does Peter mean by that statement, he's forgotten his purification from his former sins? He means he's forgotten the whole point of his salvation. He's forgotten the terrible, terrible price the Lord had to come and pay to set him free, to deliver him from his sins and the corruption that is in this world by lust. He's forgotten the Scripture's declaration written by the Apostle Paul over in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Great passage of Scripture. Listen to it. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, boy, we battle there, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Here it is. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good deeds. They've forgotten that. They can't see backward. They can't see forward. They're just trapped, a tool for Satan now. So Peter, for the second time, strongly exhorts us to put to work that one word, diligence. 
I mean, when you leave here this morning, I hope that one where the Holy Spirit so burned that, that all through the week you just, it's like a song that plays over and over, and you say, I don't want to play that song, I don't want to hear that song. And you get up in the morning, and you use the bathroom, and there that song is again. Then this word diligence will come back to you and me, and diligence will come back and say, are you giving diligence to this so great a salvation? in the living out of your Christian life. And when you do, you'll make certain about His calling and choosing you. But secondly, secondly, this ties together, when you do, you will never stumble. That really ties in solidly with the first point. When you do, you will never stumble. It's important for you to know this. The verb tense used denotes an act of stumbling that's final. That won't characterize you because you'll have the real thing. Notice what Peter says, verse 10, For as long as you practice these things, what things? Well, you're giving diligence to living out those seven Christ-like qualities, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, and self-sacrificing love. When you do it, Peter says, if you give diligence to these seven Christ-like qualities, what? You will never stumble. That's what he says. Never. Will you ever fall into sin? Now, you know I'm not going to say no. You know that. Sure, you're going to fall into sin. I mean, that old sin nature's there in this fallen world, and yeah, we have our ups and downs and so forth. No, you'll fall into sin, but as Jesus assured Peter when Peter was strongly asserted, I will never deny you. I'll never deny you. He said, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. You know what the Bible says? He's there at the right hand of God making intercession for you and me who are his right now. He says, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brother. Sure, he fell in sin. Pretty heavy sin, as a matter of fact. But isn't it good that God is a merciful one? And when you belong to him, he says, listen, I will be right there to lift you right back up and get you right back in under that spout where the blessings come out. That's, that's our God. That's our Savior there, ever living to make intercession. And you remember what the Lord did after he raised from the dead? He deliberately sought out Peter and he restored him. That's what he wants to do with each one of us when we fall into sin. And sometimes, boy, we fall deep and we fall heavy, don't we, and hard. Yet he says, still, your mind, if, you're, if you have that same faith as the apostles have, your mind, and I am there to restore you, then let him do that. Let this speak to your heart. Say, Lord, I'm ready to give diligence to my relationship and my walk with you. I, along with so many, many other Christians, love Philippians 1, six. You know what? For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a work, good work in you will complete it. Isn't that good? I'll com- he'll complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And along with that, with the, the Apostle Paul's words, and I like to apply all diligence to my life. If I do that, then I love what he said. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. You'll never stumble. Well, number B, Peter presents a graphic illustration. I'm glad he does. He says that those who are redeemed and apply all diligence, they will never stumble. But now he presents a graphic illustration. It's very, very graphic. He describes those who do experience final stumbling. Look with me at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Boy, 
Churches are full of them today across the land. Many will follow their sensuality. Look how they're living. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Look at verses 17 through 22 of the same chapter. Notice its description of these teachers. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Sound like they're saved? Not at all. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, a day enticed by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. And then he makes a description of them. For it would be better for them had had they not known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. And it's like, a dog is a dog. They're dogs in this sense. They return to its own vomit, and they're like a sow. After washing, it's still got the same old nature returning to wallowing in the mire. You know, these false teachers were just like the Pharisees who confronted and opposed Jesus. If you ask them, are you guys going to heaven? Absolutely we're going to heaven. If anyone's going to make it in, we're going to make it. Here's some people who said, we believe this Bible teaching. We believe this Jesus. You know that we're saved and we know we're guaranteed to go ahead and we can, we can go out and live just like we can live the most immoral life. We can live the most polluted life. We can just dive into sin because it doesn't matter. Peter says, that's the example of not being finally saved. Stumbling with a final stumble. People who are not saved. You know what? Sad. There are thousands, I won't say millions, there are thousands upon thousands of people who were raised up in the church who will tell you, Oh, yeah, I asked Jesus in tomorrow. I'm saved. And, you know, for the longest time, there's been not one inkling of evidence that they have the new nature, the, the, the divine nature in them. There's not one evidence that the Holy Spirit dwells in them. But they're sure they're saved. This is the issue that Peter's driving home right here. Sobering. The last day, he said there's going to be a falling away, and the love of many will grow cold. And it's happening. You pray for your children and your grandchildren, and you keep in church. That's one amen. We had to bring him from far away to get him here, but you, you, you know, it, it starts so subtly. He just sort of, yeah, I don't like what's going on down there or whatever, and so then you leave church. I know there's times when you change churches, and God may be guiding that, but the next thing you know, not only are you not in church, your kids are not in church, and guess what? You'll weep when you find out your grandchildren have no interest in being in church either. Deadly. That's how Satan works. So you'll pass Paul's test in your outline. When you give diligence to these seven virtues, you're going to pass Paul's test. Paul wrote to those in the church at Corinth, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, he says. Oh, no, Paul. The Bible says I believe it. That's it. Well, how come you're living the kind of life you're living then? No, it says test yourself. In other words, are you really a partaker of the divine nature? Do you exert any diligence working at living out those seven Christ-like qualities? Do you truly possess the faith of the same kind as the apostles? So, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself, or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. 
We talk about God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within me. I mean, holy? God? In me? What evidence is there of that? I mean, I know we struggle with sin, but what evidence is there? As I say, you know, I feel guilty, I feel miserable, I want to get back into fellowship. That's good evidence, a good start. Usually behind me, it'll say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This time it has the outline. Christ in you, hope of glory. Is he really in you? What evidence in your life is there that God actually dwells in you? That's what Paul, Peter's talking about. When a believer in Christ sincerely desires to please the Lord and applies all diligence in living the Christ-like of, life of obedience, the Holy Spirit gives him added assurance that he is a child of God. You know Romans 8, 16, and there's other verses, but Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. I need that. So do you. That's a wonderful thing that he does. The one word you must put to work to receive God's greatest blessings is that word, diligence. Now, in verse 11, Peter shares with us another great blessing from God when your Christian life is characterized by that word, diligence. So in three in your outline, this is great. This is good. We need it. Your entrance, your entrance into our Lord's eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you, he says in verse 11. But you know what? Next in your outline, don't miss it. In fact, it's so important you don't miss it. Little point, but so big. It all begins with the most precious possession. It all begins with the most precious possession. Notice carefully and give some thought to those words in verse 11. Those words, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says it, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now go back to verse 1, where he started. Verse 1, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 2, Jesus, our Lord. And once again at verse 8, our Lord Jesus. Did you notice the possessive pronoun, our? How could you miss it, right? And four times Peter in these few verses stresses the knowledge of God and the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he's not merely talking here about Bible knowledge, although that's important. What he's talking about is a relationship here. He, he says, he's like Paul. He wants to get us, that the heartbeat of our, every one of us was that, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship even of his sufferings being conformed to the image of his death. You see, it isn't just Bible knowledge, and that's, that's, that's the disconnect. I mean, it's got to start there. I understand that. But people can be in good Bible churches and still go out and live in sin in the world and not bother them at all. Because there's a disconnect, and the disconnect is this. That knowledge is that I may know Him. I don't want to just be married to that girl down there for 47 years. It's been a good trip for me. Not for her, but for me. We love each other. We really do. We say as we go out the door, I love you, honey. She says, well, there's a question mark there. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's a relationship that we've developed. It's rich. It's, it's dear. It's precious. And, and here, here's the problem of what I'm talking about. For so many Christians whose lives demonstrate virtually no diligence in these seven Christ-like qualities, it's all about escaping hell and knowing they're going to go to heaven. And they've completely missed it. Completely. But you know what the thing is? That's good though. I'm glad I'm not going to go to hell. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. Now I can go out and just do what I want. I can get all this that I possibly can. You've completely missed it. It's like being miserably married. 
And by the way, that's the way a lot of Christians are, miserably married to the Lord. There's something very vital that's missing in their life when they have little interest in knowing and fellowshipping with their Lord and Savior and getting to know Him an even deeper level and a greater way with a heart that longs to please Him. You see, your entrance into our Lord's eternal kingdom begins with this most precious possession. You know, I underscore the word our, the possessive pronoun our in First Peter 1. It begins there. Not just, I'm saved, I'm not going to go to heaven, I, a hell, I'm going to go to heaven. No, it's a most precious possession, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to number B, you will receive a rich welcome into God's eternal kingdom. You'll receive a rich welcome into God's eternal kingdom. Verse 11 again, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That's the goal. That's the goal. You might notice the next point. Little or no diligence is most costly. Little or no diligence is most costly. We really do need to give a whole lot of serious thought then to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Every time I show up to that passage, I get a little bit under conviction, a little bit concerned, as you should as well. For first or second Corinthians five ten says, For we must all appear, that means we're going to show up before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one, that's you personally and me personally, may be recompensed for his deeds in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. A little bit of conviction there, a little bit of concern there, and there ought to be. Now please understand. This is called the judgment seat of Christ, and there it'll only be for Christians. No unsaved person will be at this one. But every Christian, every truly redeemed person will be there. It's often called the Bema Seat, place of reward. And by the way, I'm glad of this, but don't let this throw you off. None of your sins will ever be brought up. There ought to be a hundred or two hundred and fifty amens on that. I am so glad that none of my sins will be brought up. But there's a danger. You say, good, whew, no sins, going to get to go to heaven, so I'm going to go ahead and live like I want here. Boy, you've really missed what was going on here then, if that's the case. But so many Christians, as I said, don't even give any thought to it. Well, the unsaved person, they're going to be at the great white throne judgment. That happens later on. And from there, they'll be cast into the lake of fire because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. They do not have the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. They're not washed in the blood of the Lamb. But only Christians will be at this judgment seat called the Bema Seat. And it said, none of your sins are going to be brought. But, but... It will be here that you'll be rewarded for all that diligence you put forth in living out your Christian life for the Lord. In a sense, you can say your capacity for glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be determined and it will be given to you at this judgment seat. Here's the thing that is so hard to get a hold of. Somehow may the Holy Spirit help you and me to get a hold of it now before it's ever too late. When you and I as a redeemed person are at this Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, I will be there and you'll be there and you'll have absolutely no sin whatsoever in you. There'll be no sin nature, no sin at all. And you know what that means? There'll be one all-consuming passion, drive, and desire. And that will be to glorify God to the greatest of your capacity. That is what's being thrown away now when you do not give all diligence. That's why he says, keep your eye on the goal. 
Keep your eye on the goal, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain... I mean, verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Let that get through your heart and let the Holy Spirit drive that home. That's what we tend to be throwing away right now. It's interesting. He says, I don't want to just get you into heaven. I don't want to just get you into my kingdom. I am preparing you right now to reign with me. Get that? To not just be there, but to reign with me. Then cooperate with me. Give all you got to this. That's the goal. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know it well. Some people in Northern California, Santa Rosa, know it all too well from a human perspective. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, we start there. Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. I laid a foundation. And another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. What he's talking about, I got the gospel to you and that's the foundation. You got saved by hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus Christ. That's been laid. Now you've got, you're partaker of the divine nature because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are also, have a, you've received a divine calling and you respond to that. And you also have divine power. As we saw in Second Peter 1. Okay, the foundation's laid. You're, you're now in the family of God. Verse 12. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show up because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Picture yourself standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, and this is exactly what is going on. You think that won't matter? (laughs) That will be the biggest event of your life right there. Wow. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he decides, you know, no, I, I, I'm forgiven. I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. And hey, there's so much of this world I want to enjoy and I want to do my thing. And God, I, I, you know, when I'm 90, I'll have time for you maybe. But right now I want to do my thing. I did it my way. Yeah. So many Christians, that's exactly what they do. If his work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Weigh it out heavily. It's going on so much. Weigh it out heavily. He'll suffer loss, but praise God, he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Some of those people in Santa Rosa, they heard a crackling sound. What in the world is that? Got up, looked at the glow, and said, we got to get out of here. And instantly afterwards, their house was gone, incinerated. Saved, so as through fire. You know what? Our heart can go out to them. But there's a bigger issue here because... Our heart can go out to those who are saved, that that's going to happen to them when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ. And Peter says, no, don't let that happen. Man, he said, he said, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Number two in your outline, under that little B there, diligence producing Christ-like character will be super abundantly rewarded. I said verse 11 is a goal. I like to remind myself of that. I like to remind myself that no one will super or can super abundantly reward and bless you and me like our Lord Jesus Christ can and will if we'll just let him do so. Look around you at the devil and how he rewards. I often remind myself of that. 
You remember what he said to Jesus when he was out there and he was allowed to tempt him after Jesus' baptism? Think about Luke's words because they're, they're worth thinking about. And he, the devil, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Okay, showed them all. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. I'll give that to you, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. You know that Jesus didn't challenge him on that? When Adam fell, he lost that dominion, and Satan usurped it. There's a lot more that can be said about that. But I think about that. I look at the ones who belong to the devil, and some of them, and what he's given, it's amazing. He gives them incredible power. He gives them incredible glory. He gives them fame, great influence, super great wealth. And then I remind myself, if Satan gives that away, God will never be outdone by Satan. Where's the amens to that? Is this worth it? Is it worth giving diligence? Knowing what the goal is? I had the joy of going up flying on Friday with Gary and Stacy Elliott. And it was absolutely a beautiful day. And we were flying around over there in the Anacortes area. And, and he was pointing out different things to me and, and the lands and some estates and all that. I said, you know what? So one day, Gary, it's going to all be yours and mine. But this time, all the sin will be removed and all the rebels and the rebellious, they're going to be gone as well. The curse is going to be lifted. It's going to all be ours to enjoy. Good goal to look for, isn't it? But I don't just want to get to heaven. The Lord doesn't want to just get me there. He's preparing me to be a partaker with Him on His throne. Preparing me to reign. And let that sink in your heart and my mind as you consider, consider Peter's words, applying all diligence. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. As Michael Green says, and I like his quote, Words are piled upon one another to excite the weary pilgrim's heart at the splendor of that destination. If we generously put ourselves out in obedience to God and give what we have, He will generously put Himself out for us, so to speak, and lavishly equip us for life in the everlasting kingdom. And Paul, Peter says, throws in those words richly, or you might have the word abundantly, to underline the point. End of quote. Right now, you partake of His divine nature, and your greatest drive and goal should be the entrance into this eternal kingdom. Boy, time's running out, isn't it? We're closer than ever before. You see, it is not just getting into the kingdom. It's having our Lord and Savior say, well done. (laughs) Here you come. Well done. Well done, good and faithful son. You were faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Savior, Lord, and God. And it all must begin with, as Peter says in verse 2, you're having received Verse 1, having received a faith of the same kind as ours. The false teachers in chapter 2 did not have that same kind of faith. I'm reminded of the great 18th century preacher George Whitfield met one of the Welsh Methodist leaders, Howell Harris in Cardiff. And the very first question he asked Howell Harris was this, Mr. Harris, do you know your sins are forgiven? You see, that's the question, isn't it? Do you know your sins are forgiven? Have you assurance? Are you certain? Can you say that your sins are forgiven? Do you know you are you, you're forgiven? Do you know that you possess that divine life and are a partaker of the divine nature? Does Christ live in you the hope of glory? That one word. When you leave here this morning, all right, maybe. When you leave here, I want you to go out with that one word burning in your heart and your mind that you can't get away from me as well. The one word you must put to work to receive God's greatest blessings diligence. 
Not just drifting, not just floating, not just comfort, which we Americans like, diligence. Will you finish your earthly life and be able to declare with the Apostle Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. In the future, there it is, verse 11, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. Second Peter 1, 10, 11. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly, super abundantly supplied or applied to you. Heavenly Father, it's a joy to be saved. It's a comfort to be saved to know that my sins have been all forgiven. But you're teaching me and my journey. It's a great, great joy to commune with you and walk with you. Like Paul, that I may know you, that I may know the power of your resurrection. Yes, as we go through trials and difficulties and get older, physical ailments as well, that I may know the fellowship of your sufferings. For it really is God who is at work in me, causing me to will and to work for your good pleasure. There's not a person here knows just how much more time they have left before they end this earthly journey. But Father, whether it be uh, years or hours, may we give diligence to pursuing these Christian virtues, these Christ-like traits, assuring us and confirming our salvation, our calling and election or choosing that we'll never stumble and that that entrance into your kingdom, oh, to hear that welcome home, well done, enter into the joy of your Lord and Savior, Master. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.